Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hey, this is Jamie Birch with the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast and your award-winning affiliate management agency, jevcommerce.com. Today, I have a special guest, Jamie Tapia Barr. You know, before I introduce you, let me talk about one thing we have for you, then I'll, I'll introduce Jamie to you. So if you are wondering uh, how can you uh, effectively control your costs in all your digital channels, specifically in the affiliate marketing channel, uh, can you lower your customer acquisition cost and increase revenue? Well, you definitely can. We put together a case study uh, that you can go to jebcommerce.com slash acquisition cost and get access to this case study. And we talk about uh, advanced commission structures, innovative technology and promotional structures and planning that we've used to help our clients increase revenue and decrease customer acquisition costs. So go to jebcommerce.com slash acquisition costs. Now, getting back to our guest today, Jamie uh, Tapia Barr. Uh, Jamie actually used to work for me a decade ago. She started her career. Uh, she started it at JEB Commerce and since then has worked for multiple agencies as well as advertisers uh, internally uh, as their affiliate manager. And she's done some amazing things. So today we talk about a bunch of uh, stuff ranging from the elections. This is actually being recorded on the eve uh, of our election. And we talk about how that impacts our planning for the rest of Q4. Definitely something you want to uh, listen to. So uh, we talk about uh, her career path and, and some of the pivotal decisions she made, how she makes those, uh, as well as uh, going into keys of project management and how to plan for Q4 and kind of what to do now if you're scrambling on, on what to do. So lots of great information in this episode. Jamie, thank you for joining us. Let's dive right into the conversation. All right, Jamie, thank you for joining me on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. It is great to have another Jamie on the program, uh, as well as another former JEB -er. Yes. Well, thanks so much for having me. I love, I'm such a nerd. I love talking about this stuff all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. You know, we are chatting on the eve of an election. Ooh. We don't have to get into politics. <laughs> Uh, by the time people are listening to this, the next, uh, you know, a big event will have happened is, mm -hmm. are you following this? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you like, just get it over with? I, I have a little bit of, um, I have a little bit of just get it over with at this point. I, I, I think I must share something online every single day about please vote. 
I'm sure everyone that actually looks at anything that I post has already voted. So it's a little bit like shouting to the void, but um, I'm definitely really nervous and anxious, you know, um, you know, last time around, I remember uh, I was on the East coast. So I went to bed before things were finished. I went to bed thinking we were going to have our first, you know, female president and up to something completely different. So um, I will be, definitely paying attention to what's happening and you know it has a lot of impacts and also just even with day-to-day uh for the programs that i manage you know there's a lot of uh, things you have to kind of consider the day after if things aren't finished then you might want to hold off on placements and things like that so it's a lot lot to you kind of have to pay attention even if you don't want to be yeah you know and i've tried to not pay attention uh, but so much in what you just said, I want to, if, if we can, I want to dive into yeah. you, uh, you recently just moved from, is it Boston? Yeah, I was in Boston for four years. Hey, wow. And now you're back in the Coeur d'Alene, Idaho area. Yeah, I'm, I'm back, um, back to the homeland, if you will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's gotta be quite different. This election cycle, for those yeah. two areas, right? A hundred percent. Um, it's been a bit of an adjustment for both my husband and myself. Um, I just feel like too, it's also feels really different this time around, uh, in terms of, you know, before I left versus now, I feel like this area has changed a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's just, you know, things that have happened over the last four years, or maybe it was stuff that was always around and I just didn't notice. I mean, I wasn't paying attention. Um, but, uh, it's definitely, you know, uh, definitely more liberal in Boston, I'll say. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, it, uh, things feel heightened, yes. um, and, and more raw than mm-hmm. they did, uh, last four years ago. I know I, uh, I've, I've been pretty successful at avoiding most of this, uh, and, or just avoiding getting caught up in it for yeah. extended periods of time, trying to stay informed. And I watched, I, I literally observed my anxiety level this morning, uh, start to climb throughout the day as I realized what's, what the next 24 hours. And, and like you said, you know, we don't necessarily know when this will uh, no. be decided. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so it'll, it'll be really interesting. One thing you mentioned is your programs that you're managing. So uh, we'll definitely get into, you know, your background, but you've mm-hmm. been doing this. I, I was looking and, and you've been doing this for almost uh, a decade. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, isn't it? And so one of the things I'd love to dive into today that you mentioned is how this whole election, like, impacts what we do as affiliate managers going forward. And and you brought that up. So mention like, what are you looking at from an affiliate manager perspective, not necessarily a voter perspective, but what are you looking at to happen? What do you need to be consistent, cognizant of and watching over the next day, week or so? Well, I think one thing that uh, has been more difficult to manage uh, than usual in just the last year there's so much stuff happening that um, everyone has been, I would say, more vocal about opinions than ever before and um, keeping less of a neutral tone in, in a lot of stuff that they do um, that has since like affected things that like some of the partnerships that we, we work with, specifically more so with like niche affiliates or um, influencers, for example, 
having to break ties with some who, you know, a lot of stuff has happened. So like, that's something that I mean, when you have literally hundreds of uh, people in your program, you, uh, it's really hard to, to manage every single like I can't look through every single person's post for the last 10 years to make sure that yeah. they're not, you know, no, no secret surprises. And I yeah, think yeah. that, um, you know, it's just a time to be, to, to be vigilant and aware that that is something that you need to kind of pay attention to. And uh, not only that, but uh, the other channels that, you know, affiliate interacts with in general, just as a team, we have to, just be aware of what's going on in order to, um, you know, just be smart about timing and placements because uh, it's, um, you know, it's right now, for example, it's just like shouting into the void because there's so much going on every minute that it's kind of a waste of money to do a placement. Um, and then, you know, if we had something planned a few days after, like everyone's starting a lot of Black Friday deals, for example. Um, so like not wanting to, wanting to time them just enough so that they start getting attention when things are, are settled. I do think the next, you know, regardless of what happens tomorrow, the next few months are going to be crazy either way. Um, I don't think that election stuff is really going to settle <laughs> after this. Um, yeah. There's, it's just going to continue to be turmoil. So just keeping um, aware of what's going on and making sure that things are, are timely and, and you're going to have, it's going to be like money well spent. Um, so yeah, I think that. So basically like you, you can't not watch this yeah, because you, you have to react. I, I've learned that lesson, uh, in the first election of, uh, George W. Bush in Mm -hmm. that probably that was one of the first, uh, elections in when I had a professional career Mm -hmm. and seeing how that uncertainty of the, of uh, the, uh, hanging Chad in Florida, mm-hmm. how that impacted sales. So we can talk about politics all day long, but at the end of the day, this is podcast is about performance marketing and, and revenue. And I noticed like when the more and the longer that held off, people didn't know what to do. And yeah. so they didn't make decisions. And the only thing that we could kind of figure out is I'm just not spending anything right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you're saying essentially the same thing, knowing that, this could be decided tomorrow, but it could not. Right. And also there's just, yeah, just it's, you know, as a, like you said, as a performance marketer and just, you know, for, for me, like being part of a team that manages everything, it's, it's very much you, you have to, yeah, you have to pay attention to what's happening all the time um, to make sure that you don't do anything insensitive or sometimes pre-planning, you know, back to, sort of backs you into a, a corner if you're too too advanced in planning with stuff and then have to you're not agile enough to make changes or what have you yeah definitely well let's get into your background and so for the few people who don't know who you are <laughs> uh, Jamie a top Jamie I did it I said Jamie uh, I combined the words I said that I wasn't going to uh, but Jamie Tapia Barr, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. Talk to me about when you started and, and each of your career steps. Yeah, okay, sure. I'm sure there are a lot of people who don't know what um, who I am. But uh, yeah, so as you well know, I started working for you about 10 years ago or so. And um, I started as 
as a, an assistant manager to a few programs there at JEB and, um, you know, pretty fresh out of college. And uh, I remember thinking that it was unfortunate that my degree, which was in marketing, was, you know, had not learned anything about affiliate marketing. Um, <laughs> so uh, I remember that being a, a big takeaway of, of my uh, interview with you at the time. But um, yeah, so since since I worked with you for a few years, um, managed a lot of fun programs. I like to joke that I've, you know, managed everything from Bibles to grass-fed beef and from all the, yeah. from coast to coast. So um yeah, I've done a lot of different and really big brands and really tiny brands. Yes, the small, very small, no-name brands to some pretty big ones. Um, the most recent one I worked on was a men's clothing apparel that has a, like 300 brick-and-mortar stores, um, but also um, you know everything from I, I managed the Forever 21 program, Lord and Taylor, and and many many others. Um, so a lot of a lot of different types of brands, and yeah, I did. I've been doing that for ten about ten years, and I've worked uh, on the agency side a few times, as well as I've worked for several brands directly. And uh, like I said, also from coast to coast, I've been in California, I've been in Boston. So um, right now, I uh, I am doing just some consulting stuff and doing um, some contract project management work for one of my past employees, employers, um, Embark Vet. Um, they're a Boston-based dog DNA testing company. So again, <laughs> really just done everything. Um, wow. So uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing that right now. Um, I, I, It's just a team that I love working with. I've been working with them for almost two years now on and off. And um, it's a fun product to, to work with. So I, I manage their affiliate program. And then also I do the uh, project management stuff for, for a holiday team stuff. Awesome. We definitely wanted to dive into some project management stuff. Now, why, and we talked about this on the prep call and I can't remember, <laughs> why do people get their dog's DNA tested? Oh, a very good question. And it's one that I definitely had before I worked here. <laughs> I also didn't have any, <laughs> I don't have a dog, unfortunately. Um, but I have several. Are you looking for one that we could make that happen really fast? Oh my gosh, my my uh, my cat would not be pleased with me. Um, but yeah, people will get a dog DNA test for a couple different reasons. I think the main one uh, that's most common anyway is if you have a mixed breed dog, you just get to find out sort of what breeds make up your dog, and that can help you with um, health issues that may come up or training issues. So if you have a dog who's um, you know, doing, doing certain things, um, that you don't like, for example, learning what type of dog they are might help you figure out the best way to train them. Um, so if they're like, a, you know, a type of herding dog, for example, there might be special tools that will help you, um, with that. And if you didn't know their breed makeup, you might just get mad at your dog all the time. Um, and then also for health, like some breeds are genetically predisposed to certain, uh, health conditions. So, if you know that they are that breed, you know, when you're working with your vet, that that is something that sort of helps narrow the field down instead of doing broad testing. 
Awesome. Thank you uh, for that non-affiliate uh, uh, answer there. I know we do it with horses to get a good feel. If you don't know, if you don't have papers on them, you get a good idea of what their background is and what they'll be good at and and, and things like that. So totally makes sense. Um, So tell me like early on in your career, did you, are there things that are still valid in affiliate marketing fundamentals that you carried through uh, to even now uh, consulting, you know, managing and working with programs? Um, Are there things that have stayed tried and, uh, you know, tried and true? Yeah, for sure. I think those fundamentals that, you know, you, I learned when I was working with you um, are definitely still valid. Um, Even just from basic program auditing, there's a lot of um, programs that I come on that um, the first thing I do is the same stuff that I did, you know, 10 years ago on programs when you just do a deep dive. And that seems like a really obvious thing, but there's a lot of, you know, sometimes you just don't have time to do it, or it's just something that you're like, you know, you need to do, but it doesn't get done. And and I think that's one thing when you bring on a consultant, or if you hire a new, a new, you know, if you had it in-house and you're thinking of doing agency, it's one of the first things that you'd want to have done. Um, I feel like you can't move forward if you don't know where you've been sort of. So, um, you know, there's a lot of learnings from the basic auditing of programs that, uh, that I think is just always going to be something that I know something that I always do. And uh, it just makes it easy to identify opportunities and see what you're missing or what, you know, what has worked in the past and what maybe for some reason you're not doing anymore. And I think that this happens a lot, especially when with, you know, companies that uh, I feel like in my experience that affiliate is a channel that gets passed on a lot um, it's hardly ever given a dedicated person. Um, you might know this from, <laughs> from all your agency experience, but you're always getting a new contact. And it's just something that I feel like, yeah. um, because of that, that handover, it just like, it never, it's never like a super well, uh, managed machine. Whereas if you have the same person managing it for a long time, there's a, you know, good and bad, right? So you are able to, yeah have all these efficiencies in how you're managing the program, but then maybe there's some, um, there's a lot of learnings that it's hard to like document for a program. So then when things get passed on a lot, you miss out on those learnings and you just have to keep retesting things. So um, yeah, again, that all bakes down to the fundamentals that um, you just, if you do those auditing periodically, it just helps sort of drive the program um, with and keep some consistency with the program when it gets passed along. Yeah, we've we've had one client. We stopped counting at new contacts at twenty two. <gasps> yeah, exactly. And that was <laughs> in less than two years. Yeah, it makes it really hard so, to make any progress on a, on a program like that. Um, it does, you know, and they were in the travel category, and and so they were obviously hit very hard uh, in March. Right. Uh, and uh, had to, you know, pretty much just stop everything. And, and at the end, um, you know, we've had we had them for seven, eight years. Uh, and at the end, the the only historical knowledge was uh, the two CEOs, me and and the founder yeah. of the organization. And and that is is crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to come up with ways to keep that history mm-hmm. uh, the same 
uh, you know, keep keep track of that to to get uh, to so you can go back mm-hmm. and, and look at that. What do you think is like the biggest thing in, in that audit when you you're taking over a program or you're you're uh, you know wh- you know when you uh, became uh, you know landed those positions inside mm-hmm. uh, the advertiser? What what is like the most important thing or most overlooked aspect of that audit that our listeners? Uh, you know, should be aware of that they should be looking at? Well, I think it's definitely been what you come up from the audit uh, is a a lot of um, things that like the way the program was managed previously and it's changes that, um, for example, I worked for a company where the CEO had also, or the CMO had changed over a couple times in the last like two years. So, um, there's a lot of things that kind of got dropped for the program. And then um, when I came on, they're like, why are sales down so much from last year? And like, it was like a super easy answer, but no one knew the answer until I looked through the program and, and like had to dig around. So who was, who was, uh, you know, who was down and, and then reach literally having to reach out to that partner and talk to them because no one had consistently been, like managing the program and it was something like you know maybe last year they had you know search rights and this year they don't or mm-hmm. um or you know a number of of things like that um you know one ongoing placement that got removed or or something like that and um i think it's just something that is is constantly without you know continued management like it would it would seem like the program was doing very poorly but it it wasn't even apples to apples from the previous year. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. There's not, I feel like there's not like any one thing that it, it's, it does take some um, experience to be able to review everything. And just sometimes at a glance, you kind of notice something that um, someone without experience would not, not know to look for, you know, it's hard to. Yeah. You find that little thread that you got to kind of pull on. You're not sure what's behind that data point you got to keep diving into it until you be, you're able to find enough to interpret what's going on. Right. And I think that, uh, as a, as a manager, you really, uh, find yourself, it's almost like being a detective. (laughs) I feel like I, um, I like, will find, uh, you know, every website, this, this, um, affiliate owns and I'll go to all those pages and I'll try and find, I'll do, I will be, a detective for the program. And that I think that might be the best way to describe it because there's so many times where you can't figure out, you know, maybe why someone is doing well and, and, or why they stopped doing well. And you have to, I mean, using the way back machine or just like any yeah. sort of like, I just need some reason why this did good before and is not doing good now. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Do you remember the Rex Swain HTTP viewer? Um, that sounds very familiar. Uh, we would use it to find the pat the journey of the link. Oh, right. To that's to find the affiliate that's truly behind it. I actually had to use it again today. Oh, really? Uh, we were on with a prospect. Yeah, and she's like, "I have this affiliate. I have no idea who they are or how they're doing this thing." And we're able to, in a few minutes, find that out by just following uh, a short code link all the way to the to the merchant. But. Uh, yeah, that's great. That whole discovery process is super important. Tell me about your career. What were some of the most 
important decisions you made? How did you make them as, as someone, you know, uh, that started, you know, entry level a decade ago and, and, you know, you've had some pretty awesome positions. You've been in agencies and in advertisers that brings up a whole Mm -hmm. slew of, uh, uh, questions that I have for you, but you know, for our listeners who are maybe uh, uh, just starting out, you know, how did you make? You know, what were the important moves that you did make? How did you? How did you make those? I think that as far as you know, career path goes, it's it's sometimes there's like a lot of opportunity, and sometimes there's not um, during different times of your life, and uh, sometimes uh, for me, you know, like the first big move I made was out of state, right? So it was, for me, it was a lot of my, I think I feel like a a lot of my career decisions have been just looking for personal growth as well as uh, professional growth. So um, I think with that, it's, if I had to to say, that's that's really what's, I think, driven me a lot of different places um, and finding the right opportunity. I think as I get older, I am more, choosy um with those um positions that I take in terms of uh what what I really want and for me it's uh as I get older um it's more about like how it will affect my personal life and and keeping that work-life balance is so important and also um the team that you're working with is so important so uh like I'm happy to work for a company um, maybe I make a little less than my than another job I could have taken, but I I know that the relationships that I have with that company um, make my day to day happier. So um, I, I feel like in that way it's more because you just you have to be happy wherever you're at. So I think making sure that that fit is there has been probably the biggest driver for me in in more recent years. I think. Um, as far as if I could give someone some advice would just really be to learn as much as you can from anyone and pretty much everyone that you, that you talk with, maybe find a mentor. And if you can't find someone who can mentor you on an ongoing basis, just really taking any, any opportunity to like steal mentoring moments from people. It sounds kind of weird, but like um, having conversations with someone, um, you know, any of your superiors or, um, supervisors or whatever, um, other people in the company that you work for, um, and just kind of learn as much as you can and just take that and it helps you build relationships. There's a lot of relationships that I've built that I still have from, you know, at least one or two people from every company I've I've worked for that I still talk to and I'm still, uh, network, I still network with and, and vice versa that, um, you know, those are things that I, you know, will, carry with you and you never really never know what what that's going to bring you later on um and also I guess just don't be afraid to make mistakes it's really hard to I feel like for me anyway it's been really hard sometimes to make a choice to to leave somewhere you're comfortable with but um, Mm -hmm. in order to learn and grow for me it was really important just to to try something different so yeah I think I think that might those are some that up those are all great. I love the stealing, stealing mentoring moments. <laughs> Give me a little more of what that looks like. Um, so it's kind of like 
anytime you're in the room with someone who you can tell is like a someone that you would want to learn from, like ask a question, ask them some questions that maybe aren't related to whatever it is you're talking to. Steal some, steal some mentoring from them in a way. Like ask them, you know, something about their career or just something that you know, like you know, wh- where where they got where they are or something like that or anything that they recommend for for stuff. I remember uh, talking to a product manager uh, a while back about you know, what it takes to, to get into that field. And we were just literally walking around the city and I was just like, Oh, what, what does this, you know, what would someone who wants to do this need to learn? Or like, you know, what recommendations do you have for like a class or um, maybe a website that you read a lot, stuff like that, that, um, you know, you just kind of got to take it where you can sometimes (laughs) in terms of um, finding opportunities to learn new things. So You've worked at, uh, you, you've been in an agency on multiple occasions mm-hmm. and you've been at an advertiser on multiple occasions. Yeah. So that must give you a really unique view of you know, the common problems we're dealing with in affiliate marketing and how each group solves them. Was there something you know, like deeply held in agencies before you went to an advertiser and then you... I mean, did you have a realization of how they handled things or, uh, you know, that that brought, you know, a deeper understanding of the issue of, of the affiliate marketing issue? Anything like that in in that in that transition from agency to advertising? Yeah, I think um, I think it's really interesting uh, going from agency to brand. I know, like on the agency side, sometimes it it's really hard to understand why. A, a merchant won't move forward with something maybe maybe it's like a pitch a new you pitch a new affiliate or you pitch a some sort of you know special offer or something just for affiliates or um really a lot of different things and it takes so long for them to get back to you and you're like I don't understand why this would take so long just to move forward with like a simple approval or something and yeah. knowing being on the brand side um, of some really big companies and some really small ones, um, it definitely makes more sense when you see the bigger picture of, you know, why why things take the way take as long as they are. Maybe it's a legal issue, or um, maybe it's uh, sometimes you have a, a upper level you know C level person who wants their hands in everything, and it just even though you know, approval takes forever. Um, they still want, you know, it's hard to be limber, I guess. And now I kind of understand more so why. Um, and then also there's just so much bigger picture that when you're just on the agency side that you really just don't get to see. And that's like, it's unfortunate because there's so much that you can learn. Um, for one, you can learn about just like how that business operates, but also like if from the agency side, you're able to work more closely, like, like I do as the brand's affiliate manager, you know, there's a lot of opportunity where if you could marry the two in a little bit better way, um, it would just take more time. But, um, basically like there's a lot more opportunities to work together. Um, for, so like, for example, this might not make sense, but for example, um, when I work with, um, the, a company as a brand inside the brand, um, mm-hmm. seeing like the, 
bigger campaign, I'm able to, as part of the team, um, I'm able to like really incorporate all the different ways affiliate can play a role in it. Whereas a lot of times when you're at an agency, you just get handed down whatever it is that they've already decided and then you implement, which, which does work obviously, but there's, it's a missed opportunity for affiliates to play a bigger role in some of the company's campaigns, whether that be, um, you know, bigger engagement role or, um, you know, whatever that, that might be. There's, there's just a lot of things that I feel like gets missed because, you know, as the agency, you're not in those brand pitch meetings, you know what I mean? So, um, where there's a filtering process that, you know, it gets to you through, right. Through the different filters and different windows of looking at it. You, you don't, you get, it's, it's distilled down to key things you need to know, but you don't get the whole picture. Exactly. And it's, it's, I mean, it's too bad, um, because there is definitely more opportunity. So there's definitely a benefit for, for having, you know, a in-person person, <laughs> but at the same time, obviously, you know, the agency is, you know, very effective for, for getting the work done. Um, and there's just no way like someone from an agency could sit in on every meeting, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And we've had clients who have asked us to do that yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, we tried really now um, some of the big issues that we deal with in affiliate space, you know, is the always the defense of the channel. You mentioned it earlier of the channel kind of gets handed from one person to the other. Most of the time it's like that, or there's no one actively managing it, or it's a part of, of a job. What, since you've been on both sides of the fence, how, how do you communicate internally the importance of the channel, like what, how do you get them to move when you're there inside the organization and and view the channel differently? I think um, a lot of time it's even just reminding people that the channel is, can do certain things um, just to keep, keep it in top of mind is not, it's like, you know, affiliate isn't just a bottom of the funnel situation. It's definitely more high level than that. And, there's a lot of opportunity if, if, if allowed basically. And I feel like a lot of merchants don't see it that way for whatever reason, you know, uh, could be, I, I just feel like it comes from a real, real lack of understanding for the channel and what, what it's like, what it can do. But I think that for me, again, just reiterating as often as like, Oh, well, affiliate, we could do this in affiliate with, you know, with this campaign or, um, you know, and then also just providing receipts, if you will, in terms of like, let me do this, like, let's just test this and I'll show you what it can do. And, um, and also I feel like playing within their rules. There's a lot of merchants I've worked with who have different attribution rules. And, um, when that comes up, I'll just, will take, I'll take it in any way they'll, they'll let me, because a lot of times, um, like I said, it just gets played as it's only a, you know, a bottom of the funnel channel. And I think being able to prove that it's not by, you know, all the sales that like, look, I jumped through all your hoops and I still have all these sales. So yeah. how could you possibly still think this is all that this channel has yeah. to offer? Um, but it, I feel like it's just 
always a struggle, um, having to, uh, you know, keep, you just have to keep at it, I think. And, you know, even after, you know, years of working with a, um, a merchant, it's still, still just like a preconceived notion. I feel like that, you know, all you can do is, you know, keep, keep at it. (laughs) Yeah. And it seems to be, it's a trust issue, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Yeah, whether trusting the channel or uh, it's a holdover from a decade, two decades ago mm-hmm. of uh, some pretty nefarious behavior um, and uh, on affiliates and and the tracking wasn't as complex right. and and kind of well thought out as it is now. Mm-hmm. And that whatever it sounds like, that's what you know you would use suggesting, and you've done that transparency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, give me your rules. Yep. Okay, now we're going to work in this area. Here's what we got. Yeah. That transparency of like, here, here is the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now can, can we move forward? It's, it's definitely something we do here as well. Um, but it seems to be a constant. Yes. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's 10 years. You and I are talking about this. <laughs> Add another 10. And I've been talking about it uh, for, for that long. Sure. Uh, and and it, still, it still comes up. Now you have mentioned project management uh, in our in our prep call. Something you're very passionate about. Tell me, uh, you know, what that is. I know it's a whole. Uh, I know my sister was uh, went into project management at, at one point and, and uh, did a really good presentation at JEB once on that. But what is project management? Why is it important? Let's see. I feel like uh, project management is definitely something that. A, I, you do whether you realize you're doing it or not, especially I think at an agency because you're, um, you know, when you're managing multiple clients, you just have to kind of com- compartmentalize them and each thing is its own, you know, its own project in a way. Um, I feel like project management really is just keeping everything and everyone on the same page and on task for moving whatever that project is forward. So, uh, you know, having one person as the point person uh, for really any project is just super helpful, obviously. Um, and with larger, the larger the campaign, the more apparent that is. So um, for example, right now, the project I'm working on is just the holiday, like just holiday <laughs> for this, for, for, for the chant for Embark. And, you know, that consists of everything from managing, creating video assets to, you know, on-site design and um, all of the keeping track of all of the different teams from distribution to customer service to just like everyone, it's like an all hands on deck situation. And without, you know, a main person managing the project, it can be a lot of um, side conversations that do affect the big picture. And so when you have one person accountable, I feel like it, it just helps the whole the whole project move forward more smoothly. And in this case, it's, it's, um, I'm just doing the holiday for Embark. And, um, you know, as someone who was at Embark when there wasn't a project manager, (laughs) I feel like we're like at least a month ahead of where we were last year in terms of, Mm. um, like making sure we have everything and also just the pre-planning involved. Um, we were able to like, for example, so we knew ahead of time what projects we needed to have done in terms of creative. So the team was able to hire a whole nother uh, designer because we knew 
the creative need was going to be much more than we had time, literal time to do it. And I feel like if we hadn't been so organized ahead of time, um, that, you know, we would have been scrambling mid November trying to finish assets. So, um, which is never good no, at this no. time of the year and especially this year. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just crazy busy. And I feel like, um, yeah, just again, holding people accountable, really. I feel like I'm just the person who bugs everyone all day long. <laughs> hey, where are we at with this? Hey, what's going on with this? How's it going? Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And so are there tools that you use or do you develop them yourselves? Is it, I know in the past we've used simple like Gantt charts uh, and you probably remember, especially with our launches <sighs> way back when of, of those Excel spreadsheets that- yes had who is in charge, who is responsible, all that that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, ha- have you found other tools that you use or is it simply just here are all the things that need to get done and, and who owns it and I'm tracking it? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of great project management tools and software that you can use. I, I'm not using any of them, <laughs> not because I wouldn't want to, but I got sort of thrown in midway for for this project and um they had already kind of been keeping track of things in a certain way so it just made sense to continue on with this project as it is but um yeah no there's definitely a lot of tools online for for it i think that for me one thing i just in general find helpful is um after you know getting the lay of the land and and understanding the scope of the project and things you know give it a couple weeks and then really revisit the scope and deliverables just to see if anything has evolved because it does it's like a big evolving project so um there's a a lot of times where there's things that we don't need that were originally in scope for the project and just keeps things more efficient just to continue to review that especially in the beginning because I feel like once things get moving it's a little bit different but initially I think the first few few times you are working on a project it's still very much evolving um and another thing is you know we've been keeping a weekly sync um we just have it ahead of on the calendar already for like the next three months because um just giving sometimes it's like a really hard to find time for everyone to meet if you are scheduling as needed but if you already have it sort of pre on the calendar you can always cancel a meeting if you don't need it but um, sometimes finding you know even 30 minutes for everyone when you're dealing with 20 plus people is like impossible um if you don't do it ahead of time so having that is super helpful and yeah and then also obviously making sure you have all the right key stakeholders input along the way because the worst thing the last thing you want to do is get all this work done and then ask someone who should have looked at it early on and have to make a bunch of changes. So yeah. Now talk to me about that. Cause one thing about affiliate marketing that I've noticed is we talked about earlier, kind of gets handed off mm-hmm. uh, to everyone. And a lot of times it gets handed off to someone who hasn't had uh, a lot of formal education in, in project management mm-hmm. and other areas. And they're kind of, they have to kind of figure all this stuff out. Um, Stakeholders. What are those? How do you identify them? Why are they important? Yeah, well, you know, key stakeholders is really anyone, A, anyone who who has, um, who needs to have input on a project. For, for us, it's obviously like the, you know, your direct supervisor. A lot of times it's a CMO or even a CEO or both. Um, and, uh, and then also a lot of times there's other people on other teams that are key stakeholders. So like if you need to deal with the product person, 
to make changes on the site um, that, you know, is outside of like the e-commerce platform that you're using. So stuff like that, I think um, it is sometimes hard to identify, but uh, I think for me, I'm, I'm at a bit of an advantage working with Embark right now because I've been here for, for a while. So I already know a lot of the stakeholders um, in the company, but I think, uh, yeah, I think if you're not sure asking questions and trying to figure out who, who's the right person, but also um, just in general, making sure you know who the, the people are on the team that are the like people who are actually signing off on stuff to make sure that they are always in the loop on, on where you're at with the project. Yeah. In one of my very first jobs, uh, I failed to identify some of the key decision makers and they weren't in the department, but they had such influence on what I did in affiliate marketing that it took me 24 months to realize that I, I have to build a relationship with them that I need to bring these things to them just as I'm bringing to my direct supervisor, Mm -hmm. because the way that they make decisions above uh, above me in the hierarchy, this person has no understanding of what I'm doing and I don't understand their needs either. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm constantly butting, I was constantly butting heads with someone I didn't even know yeah. uh, and trying to fight this sort of phantom uh, argument with a phantom. And it took me that long. I, I was much younger then. Uh, so a little hard headed and maybe stubborn and couldn't figure it out. But that stakeholder identification, once once I figured it out, I knew I, I could take those things to that person and bring them up to speed before it became a yes or no decision in a tense uh, executive meeting. <laughs> and that helped significantly. It helped me a lot mm-hmm. uh, get things pushed through. And also to know like what we shouldn't push through. Like you said earlier, when you were talking about agency versus advertiser, and you know, seeing the bigger picture as an affiliate manager, it helped me see the bigger mm-hmm. picture in the organization. For sure. So now we, we're in we're in Q4. We are planning and adjusting. Have have you noticed with COVID and everything that's going on? Have, has the planning cycle uh, shortened uh, significantly? To to you know, you have to plan but adapt very quickly because, I mean, especially over the next week or two, right? Right. Uh, have you noticed that things have the, the the cycle of planning has shrunk? Has it? How has it changed? I don't. I don't think that the cycle has really changed we definitely are still i mean we're thinking about we should be thinking about q4 you know halfway through the year or sooner um i think that you know not right now uh, right if it should have been done yeah earlier. like you're really scrambling if it's the second of november and you're not sure what the plan is um uh, it's one thing to you know make a plan and have it constantly be changing, which is definitely something that happens. I think with everyone, you have to be limber. Um, I think that hasn't changed. Uh, and that's definitely something that I think uh, you kind of have to do for Q4 is leave a little bit of space to be limber, uh, to take advantage of any last minute opportunities that might pop up. So like maybe you have allocated all of your spend already for the rest of the year, but maybe you should leave a little behind or like um, one thing that is important is, you know, to, you know, do testing, especially we did a lot of testing throughout, um, you know, September, October, so that we could 
optimize through the rest of the year based off of what we learn. And um, that space that you leave to be limber, that's another opportunity where, you know, if you did planning and you found a really great optimization, if you had already kind of allocated all of your budget to something else, then you don't have room to really, you know, push through on that. Um, I know last year we we held back a little bit and of placement spend and a big opportunity came up mid-November because, you know, things happen. Um, people have to drop out for whatever reason and stuff comes up that ends up being a benefit if you are available and limber enough to, to jump on it. Um, so I think um, there's definitely, I don't think it's changed much in that way, but I feel like this year it's important, especially important anyway, to, to uh to be flexible with the plan <laughs> yeah we i have uh had a we had a coach that worked with us and uh, uh he talked always about being clear and open mm-hmm. clear with what the plan is now and like completely opening open to being wrong yeah. uh or it changing so really clarity in what we think we should be doing and go forward with that but more like you said flexibility mm-hmm. in when new information is presented, we may have to change everything. And and what we found is uh, annual planning's kind of been out the window this year. Yes. Um, I think the farthest look we're taking is like you know, like you said, you shouldn't be planning for two, uh, you know, for Q four November second. Uh, but we have seen that the look forward window kind of shrink from six months to like three and and more more constant review or frequent reviews of, okay, we made this plan and the world looked like X. It's two weeks later. Are there any changes to X that will impact the plan? Yeah. Yeah. No, um, it's, it is especially an interesting time that we live in. Um, There's so much that has changed in the last year that, you know, if you had asked me in January what the plan is, for Q4, I would have maybe had some idea and it's just, everything is different. So definitely being uh, adaptable is important this year more than ever, I would say. And how do you, how do you start planning for something like Q4? Um, What are the, what are your key elements in a plan? Yeah, I think starting with like a really good just brainstorm session with with the team as a whole is really smart um to build up some some cohesive campaign themes uh and then sort of build on that per channel um if you all plan separately i feel like you're going to get a very disjointed look at things whereas you know if everyone is on the same page with the idea and then building on that it has been uh, in our experience my experience just like the most successful Q4s that I've seen. Um, and then obviously follow many follow-up meetings, adjustments to the plan, and then uh, aligning those goals with the budget really um, that you have. And then changing it based off of forecast over and over again seems to be, seems to be uh, the way things go. But um, I think just, you know, starting as soon as you, as soon as it feels like a good time, um, usually I'd say around July, um, and just, it seems weird to think about Christmas in July, but you just got to do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Now for someone who's listening to this and they're saying, July, <laughs> I should have been planning in July. What should they do right now if they, if they haven't really created a comprehensive plan? Do you have any 
lifeline to throw them. Yeah. I mean, I would say like even just reviewing what you did the last last year and seeing if it makes sense to do some of it or all of it or adjust some of it based off of what you did last year, you could throw together a, a, a pretty decent plan this time. Um, you know, for me, like getting stuff on the calendar in July seems ridiculous, but it's, it's sometimes it's, it's so hard to get everyone on the same page and aligned that like you put it on the calendar. So just so people start thinking about it. And even if you don't end up having that meeting until two or three weeks later, because obviously it gets deprioritized pretty quickly when things are on fire. (laughs) Um, so just, just making sure that it's you, you know, have it on the calendar and have people thinking about it and a place for people to even just start putting their ideas together on all in one place, that kind of thing. Cause you know, you never know when inspiration's going to strike. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when we talk about trust too, the person managing the program can build trust in just how they're going about uh, managing the channel and planning ahead uh, can go a long way to that. And, and you also uh, you know, spoke about sort of, you know, bring everyone up to speed, educating them mm-hmm. on the opportunities with the channel. And if you're planning that far ahead, uh, that can uh, definitely do that. And, then, and if you haven't planned far ahead, looking at what you'd, you'd done last year uh, and kind of building from there, and there's always opportunities. I mean, maybe they're not fantastic mm-hmm. and they're the ideal positions on every affiliate, but uh, there is op- always opportunities to uh, to find and discover in the last a uh, couple of weeks. Although if you're still sitting on your laurels now, <laughs> you don't have much more time left. Yeah. Um, so Black Friday, I've had some conversations and how do you think that's going to plan out? Is it, is it a day now? Uh, is Cyber Monday its own day? Is that even a thing <laughs> this year? Is it just a, I mean, what's, what's going on? What's going to happen? What do you, is it just a season now? You know, I feel like, It's, I mean, it's been this way for a while in terms of, you know, Black Friday starts on Monday and, and Cyber Monday turns into Cyber Week. And, you know, as marketers, I feel like we're really pushing it in terms of um, what we can get away with. And I don't think this year will be any different. I think, um, if anything, people, I feel like people are going to be pulling a lot of those sales earlier. Um, because like you want to get, you want people to spend your money on theirs, on, on theirs, like spend your money now on me. And then, you know, then you don't have to, you know, there's no less opportunity for you somewhere else kind of thing. So I don't think that is going to be any different. Uh, I feel like that's something that happens every year, trying to pull sales from December to June, yeah, the, the yeah. November and, and things like that. So, um, I just do think it's going to be a pretty big year all around. I mean, everyone being at home and doing all most of their shopping online. So it should be a pretty interesting year. It's definitely growth in e-commerce yeah. uh, this year. And I, I think, you know, it, it'll be, I think those two days will be less and less of a thing mm-hmm. going forward. And maybe COVID killed one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cyber Monday used to be, you know, uh, when we get to work on Monday after Black Friday and we do all, find all the sales and everything uh-huh. and uh, no one's going into the office right. like they used to. So 
yeah. maybe the, I wonder, I wonder if, see, you know, looking maybe two years from now, if that, if that changes, seeing how people will work differently. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we are fully remote, uh, uh, closed our office and, and stored it for uh, at least two, uh, 2021. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we don't, uh, we don't experience that. And a lot of people do. So it's definitely uh, a, a different year. Um, now, one of the things you enjoy the most are new uh, partnerships, new ways to do business in the affiliate channel. What are some of the unique things that you've been able to do, or you've seen this year uh, that are exciting you? Yeah, uh, there's definitely, this is definitely my favorite part of the channel has just always been working with the people that we work with and really just it's the affiliates are just always finding new ways to, you know, carve out a space for themselves. I feel like, and they're so uh, creative and innovative that it just makes it an exciting channel to work in. Uh, you just never know, um, you know, what they're going to come up with next. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like I'm just constantly being impressed by, you know, affiliates ingenuity and just, again, their ability to hone in on their own audience and build a niche. Even, um, they make affiliate marketing look easy, but I don't think it is from the publisher's side. Um, yeah. but, uh, I've tried to be a publisher and I'm not very good at yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, it seems so easy when you see people like with a simple website, making lots of money and you're like, I could do this. And you're like, actually I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I think re more recently, something that I've noticed is um, there's a lot of affiliates who are really building their own like platform of people and uh, with the Facebook groups and things. And I think that um, they're using those audiences to do really, you know, cool things and uh, more, you know, uh, more, yeah, like the Facebook groups and, and um, it's more social, I think, than than I've ever seen it be six. Like I'm, it's been a long time since I've seen a lot of, you know, uh, Facebook stuff like be successful, but I think people are really found their niche and with the groups and things. Um, and then also like I had one affiliate who has like this really big, um, social audience in, in like Minneapolis or something. And they did like an event that was really successful and really just like a lot of good stuff came out of that. Um, for like content and stuff. So um, things like that, I think have been really interesting to see. It's definitely allowed, you know, uh, more niche things to develop a, uh, a following and a, a community. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have a couple different hobbies and each one uh, is weird and unique in its own way. Yeah. And they all have groups that just someone started mm -hmm. and it's like, Hey, I want to talk about this. And now Advertisers are looking. Okay, how can we get in there? How can, how can we monetize? Uh, how can we ruin the whole thing yeah. and make it all about uh, orders and revenue? Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, last question before I, I let I let you go uh, on this election eve. <laughs> what do you see uh, beyond next week? What do you see changing in the industry? Uh, what are trends that you're watching or, or you're excited for in 2021? Uh it is such a, it's such a, you know, a different world from last year. And, uh, I think that, I think in 2021, we're really going to see, um, you know, more influencers and innovators really seizing this, uh, post COVID life, you know, with more online shopping and people spending more time online, there's just going to be 
more new creative ways to like monetize that. And, and I think that, um, I feel like we're going to see a lot more. I mean, we have seen too, just a lot more affiliates shifting to like direct affiliate programs versus like Amazon. And, and mm-hmm. I think that stuff is just going to continue. And, um, you know, I feel like it's possible that, you know, more companies will even adopt that strategy in terms of building their own affiliate programs. So yeah, I think more, more stuff online. Like uh, I feel like more, more tools or technology that's going to, you know, make being online all the time more manageable somehow. And I feel like there'll be an affiliate who will figure that out and monetize it. Yep. Yep. Jamie, thank you so much. Uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, wants to talk to you about some of the things you mentioned today, um, how what is the best way for them to find out more about you and get a hold of you? Yeah, um, I'm on LinkedIn, Jamie Tapia Bar. My profile is that backslash Jamie Tapia Bar. Um, connect with me there. I'm usually pretty good at um, responding to inquiries there too, or email or, you know. Just shoot me an email probably be the best way. Awesome. And we will include uh, those in the description or the podcast uh, notes from today. Really enjoyed uh, this conversation as I do uh, every conversation (laughs) that uh, I get to have with you. It's been great to watch uh, your career uh, over the last 10 years and you've been able to do some amazing things and uh, see you uh, go over to the East Coast and, and come back. Uh, so I thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. Uh, really enjoyed it and lots of great, insightful information uh, for me and, and I'm sure the listeners as well. Great. Well, thanks again for having me and feel free to reach out anytime. Wow, that was a great episode. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. There were so many good tidbits of information in that podcast. One of the ones I want to point out that uh, helped me was how to how to plan and what Jamie does to get started. So a, a, a cross-channel look at this planning is definitely something uh, that she recommends and, and I'm right there with her. So start with a brainstorming that includes those other channels. Cohesive campaign thinking and planning, looking across multiple channels, a coordinated planning across those channels and with those other uh, channel owners, uh, and then aligning the goals with the budget. And one of the things we talked about in this podcast is really being flexible. Jamie talked a lot about uh, being limber and flexible and really watching what's going on. Uh, and I can't thank her, her enough for sharing that with us. So if you need assistance in any of these kind of things and you want to know what flexibility looks like in your planning of your affiliate program, uh, definitely there are several ways you can get a hold of me and we can help. You can email me at gethelp@jbcommerce.com. Uh, you can also go to calendly.com slash Jamie Birch. And there you can pick some time and put some time on my calendar with me free. No uh, obligation at all. We can talk about your Q4 planning, uh, about how to take advantage of the, the next few months, maybe how to plan for next year. Whatever you need, you can set time aside. And uh, I have made that available for you. Again, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. And if you found this podcast episode helpful, uh, please share it. Uh, post it on Facebook, send it to someone you think would benefit from it. And definitely give us a review, a five-star review on uh, the podcast player of your choice. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode.